Welcome to Books Boys, live from the Grand Library, the Dean and PJ. He's Alex. Hello. I'm Dean, and we are the Books Boys, also joined by Alfred. This is the Books Boys show. Get it? Buy it? Buy it. Books. Books. Yay. <laughs> Alfred, there he is. Woo. So um, we read some books. People may be surprised to hear. And uh, read some books. Got some square paperless objects. Got text inside them. Scanned my eyes over them for a prolonged period of time. Knowledge. We did it. Woo. Uh, that's it. Uh, we have <laughs> succeeded and finished reading. So um, that's it. This we is figured it out for you guys. It's done. Yeah. Actually, this is the end of uh, Books Boy Season 3, technically. This this is the end of three years, episode 36. And next month will be the anniversary. So... Yay! Hurrah! That means this is going to be a very rushed episode, and next month might be a good one! Da, 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 da. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we are recording, or we were wanting to record this early, then I got sick, and then this has been very interesting to get done. It, Yeah, it's going to be a rush job, because like I'm heading to London in 12 hours, 15 hours, but I've also got to make like a two-hour journey somewhere tonight for a dance show, so it's just like a crazy rushed uh, thing. But you know, the last two episodes were too damn long, so I think this is fine. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Shall we get started? Let's go. Yeah. So I think you've read one book, right? Well, yeah. Ish. <laughs> Ish. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, moving and being sick did not help me finish it, but I read enough of it to be able to give a general overview. Fair enough. I've read, I originally read four, but then our slight delay means I more or less got through a fifth one. And um, we'll see if we have time for it. But Honestly, the major the majority of things I've read this month were so so. Uh, we talked yeah, before yeah. about the three stars, like the gentleman's three, not that great, but nothing wrong with it either. Three out of five. I think that was like most of what I've read this month. Honestly, that was kind of mine too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I started. I, I think I said last time I want to cover some H.G. Wells. So I pick up Brynhild. Um by H.G. Wells. I didn't know what a Brynhild was. Uh, It turns out it is the protagonist's wife. That's her name. Okay, like Brynhilda. I guess. I'd never never heard the name before. Oh, there's a bookmark still in this one. Almost lost my Lorca bookmark. So, here's the thing about this book, right? It's not that great. Um, (laughs) It's essentially about this chap who, he's a writer, and in in the opening sort of scenes... Um, someone invites him to like a stupid, you know, county fair type thing. But for some reason, it's being held by a, a churchman who's actually obsessed with druids. So he makes the writer put on like a scarlet robe and everything. And he says it's going to be so tasteful. And then some paparazzi guy takes a photo of it and it looks really tacky and stupid. So he's worried that his image is ruined and he's kind of narcissistic and self-obsessed with his image. And he goes to his publicist and his publicist can't really do anything about it. So that's the the whole book is essentially like he's trying to hire this guy to improve his image and he's really obsessed with that. 
And there's this other like new author who's a bit more up and coming that he's a little bit worried about. And he's like, why is everyone caring about this guy? Like, where does this guy come from? So he says to his wife, Brynhild, you know, we're going to have to do publicity now. And she's like, oh, no, will that mean like interviews in the house where people meet me? They were previously very kind of private people. And he's like, yeah, well, but he's also not a good husband because he's going to tell her what to do. And he's like, we're going to do this. And I don't really care about your feelings on anything. And also, I'm going to not really have any time to spend with you. And please go away. So he's really not very nice. Okay. But, so it's really just one focus. Yeah, but then yeah. nothing really gets resolved. Like, he gets his publicist, and that's fine, I guess. You know, but what happens is, the, the interesting part of the story is, um, you might have realized there's very few characters in this book. So Brynhild herself starts to develop a relationship with the other author. And then they get talking at a party and then like, oh, you're not such a bad guy. And they get chatting and then it's never clear if they've like hooked up or they're just chatting as friends, you know. But then it turns out he's got a wild past and he's actually got two wives that he's trying to escape from. So he's changed his identity, which is why he came out of nowhere. Um, so they've got all this stuff going on. And then I'm kind of like, you know, Brunhilde describes herself as a quiet lovely. So she looks nice and goes to parties, but she has nothing to say. Like, she's almost admitting herself, I have no personality. Like, I'm, I look pretty, and I remain quiet. You know? But that's perfect for the time period. Yeah, I, I guess that is considered a desirable trait at, at this time. But she wants more, I think, you know? And, yeah, her husband's maybe more intelligent, but he's also a bit of an ass. And it's really unclear about their relationship. And then she says about halfway through quarters, I'm not exactly sure where. She's like, oh, hold on. We don't love each other. I just realized this. Like, we actually feel nothing for each other. But then she kind of doesn't tell him or it's almost like she's willing to just go on. And she starts to think, I need to have an affair. And obviously she's met this other author. But then she's like, no, I don't think I could do that. Because she's quite Victorian and prudish as well, you know? So it's unclear if anything really happens until, it's a very slight spoiler, I suppose, but there's just the very last line of the book is slightly suggestive because it mentions that she stayed with her husband and they had a kid who looked very like its mother. And I'm like, am I supposed to infer then that it looked nothing like its father because she had the affair? Yeah, that's kind of what it sounds like, doesn't it? But it's never kind of stated outright and, and we never see them have the affair, you know? Um, but at one point they get like a detective involved to try to chase down this author to be like, what, what is his past? What's going on? He's got all these like ex-wives. And then they decide, let's escape to Europe and get out of the public eye and go skiing and things. It just feels like random stuff is kind of happening, but then nothing really goes anywhere, to be honest. And she just stays with the husband. And I guess he fixes his public image because he's got the publicist. But do I care? <laughs> <laughs> I also feel like this is not the H.G. Wells most people would recommend. No, like, it's Invisible Man or Time Machine, right? Yeah. So I've not read either of those, but I did read War of the Worlds and I hated it. But here's the thing. I read a book called The Wife of Sir Isaac Carmen, which is H.G. Wells doing a Victorian-style romance, and I really liked it. So when I saw this one, I thought, maybe it'll be like that. It's not the sci-fi H.G. Wells, but maybe it's going to be similar to the one I liked. And in a way, it was... But you're right, it's not what he's known for by any means. Uh, this was just very middling. Just very middle of the road. It really had nothing to recommend it. 
I don't think I would recommend it to anyone, really. Oh, okay. Um, and that's it. So the, the other author is called Alfred Bunter. I feel like it's weird, like very English sounding names, you know, go to the tea party with Alfred Bunter, you know. And there's nothing. Tory. Yeah, Sorry. it's very Tory sounding. And they sit around. Sorry, Alfred. They sit around and they chat um, about their lives. And then it's like, cool. Do they like each other? Are they going to get together? Do we know? Do we care? And she's been the main character, but it, she's not because most of it's about her husband. So I, I don't know who this is for. That's the problem. I don't know what this book really has to like recommend it to to suggest it to someone. You know, it's like, oh, cool. Some people did some things and it's, you know, there you go. It's quite short as well. It's only about 300 pages, I think. It could have been Middlemarch. It's so, last. It's yeah. two, 275. You got to be grateful oh, yeah. for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it could have been an 800 page book where nothing happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's the first one. And I, it, that does sound rushed, but I just can't think of any thing to say about it. I was very bored reading it. I was It was not the wife of Sriza Carmen. It was nowhere near that level. That's it. Yeah. That's, that's the first book. Hmm. So then I thought, okay, what can I read? It's essentially the same kind of thing. So I got Eugenie by Hester W. Chapman. Now this one has a lovely cover, as you'll see there. Actually, it's the cover that made me buy it. Front <laughs> cover and back cover. Um, lots of posh people in ballroom dress at a party. It's a historical romance. Um, historical is right. In the notes, it basically says this book is essentially completely true. So although it's like a fictionalized telling in terms of like the way the story is told with the dialogue and the things, every event is based on fact, you know? So it's not really that much fiction. It's like um, basically fictional people around factual uh, events. I think they even say every character is real. It's almost just like the only real fiction is just like in maybe the way he's written the dialogue or maybe, you know, had them talk to each other but like the actual outcomes of everything are accurate you know so and actually I think it's a she I think Hester is a she I liked this one a little bit more um, but here's the problem with this one and this is going to sound unfair because I said the last one was a bit too short and didn't go anywhere this one's 500 pages this one's a little bit too long and doesn't go anywhere <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay fair so, enough I think if this had been cut in half, it would have been fantastic. It's just one of those books where you're enjoying it and you're like the first 200 pages. This is fantastic. And then you're kind of like, oh, nothing's happened for 100 pages. You know, it's one of those books where you're just plodding along and you realize, oh, it's been a long time since anything actually happened. You know, very few books need to be 500 pages or yeah, more. To, to be honest, this is accurate. And it just got to that stage where. Yeah, no, I'm enjoying it, but that's about it. So, you, so you, Eugenie, who she is, is she's the wife of Napoleon the Third. Okay, so not the original great Napoleon, but her dad was a Bonapartist, so she supported Napoleon. And when they're in times of republic, wanted to get the empire back. Her dad is dead. She is actually uh, Spanish, by the way. She's Andalusian, where we've been. Oh, okay. And she doesn't fit like the French ideas of beauty because you know she's going to be in France for most of this novel but she's got like 
very Spanish looking dress and she's got like unruly, you know, ginger hair and things. She's not the kind of little Madame Wassell that she's not in the, in the royal families, Bourbon, Habsburg, all this kind of stuff. She's not got the look that people would have expected the emperor to choose as his wife, basically. And they make a big deal out of that. Um, but he loves her anyway. And she loves this other guy called, I think it's called Alcanizes, something like that. And he's just a bit of an ass and he's not nice to her and he only pretends to like her so he can get with her sister. So the book starts in Spain with these events happening and they take in a kind of governess, but the governess isn't really needed. And the mum's like, yeah, you're going to be the governess, but like one of the sisters is going to go get married and the other one's incapable of learning anything from you because she's too unruly. Um, so just hang out, basically. I just kind of give her a job for life, just like just be, be friends with my daughter. So, so she's got a pretty sweet gig. And she's called Flora. And in a sense, she's our main character, actually, for the first part of the book. But then she massively declines in importance as the book goes on. And then there's not really a main character at all. And I feel like the threads fall apart a little bit. Maybe it gets, it's sticking too faithfully to the history. So it's no longer possible for a governess to be the main character in Napoleonic France, right? Like it just doesn't work. So then it just becomes, here's a list of things that happened in France, you know, but the first part is great because they're in Spain and they talk about like hanging out with these Spanish gypsies and everything. And a key point is that she gets her fortune told by a gypsy and they tell her that she will sit on a throne and live to be a hundred. And of course her mom is like, yeah, that's nonsense. Like, you know, that you don't need to worry about that. But essentially, that's what happens. Like, she becomes the Empress of France, and she dies, I think she was very close to 100, in England. Like, way after, she lived, like, for almost 100 years, way after Napoleon's downfall and everything, she was just, like, hanging out in England as an old lady. (laughs) So the, the, the fortune essentially came true. And it's funny, because the last little bit is set in England, and the first little bit is set in Spain, but then, like, the middle three quarters is, you know, is all in France. Um, but Ooh. she meets the, the, the guy who's going to be the, Napoleon III. And, you know, there's actually two Napoleons. Uh, they're cousins and one doesn't like her. But luckily, even one does and they get together. She then immediately loses support for the cause as soon as he becomes um, president. Because she's like, I don't want you to be the president of a republic. I want you to be the emperor. You know, like, and he's kind of explaining to her, we can take power in stages. You know, but she's like very young and very romantic. Because I think at the beginning, she's like 15 or something. And her sister's getting married off and her mom's like, oh my God, if this girls don't get married soon, they're going to be too old to marry. Like, what if they hit 20? What will I do with them? You know? <laughs> and then you look at like Lorca and it's like, well, this one's 39 and not married. Yeah. It's, it's so strange. I, I don't know what to make of the book because I did enjoy it. To be honest, I like when they get to France. Uh, I like the politics. I mean, I like the bit in Spain the best, to be honest. Um, No surprise there. Yeah. And she's just going and like, you know, singing and dancing with the gypsies and they're playing guitar and stuff. And those are like nice scenes to me, whereas a lot of political stuff in court. Yeah, that's also good. It's very Dumas in a way, but I don't know. I think the problem is just that she's not a good person, really. She's very selfish and they make a big deal at the end. Flora says, oh, everyone who knows you kind of gets their life ruined whether it's because a guy fell in love with you and you sent him off to fight a war for you that he got killed in, or, you know, you ruined the life of a friend or a sister or whatever. She's kind of a center of trauma going on around everyone she knows. She's one of those, like, chaotic characters. And the emperor is in love with her. Um, Now, he does cheat on her. He does take other women, which annoys her. But the key point is, he says to her, 
and then you realize the dynamic of their relationship. He says, like, don't worry about the other woman. She means, she, you know, I don't love her. I don't care about her. And she says, yeah, and I don't love or care about you. And he says, I know. You never did from day one. And that's always been the problem. And, like, that was almost explicit. She never liked him. She she liked his cause, you know. Oh, but she okay. never really loved the emperor, and she never tried to. Um, and she says, I gave him everything. And even her best friend, Flora, is like, well, you didn't. You, you never, ever gave him love. You, yeah, you were physically present at, you know, engagements and things, but you never really cared about him. And then you're surprised when, you know, he's taking mistresses and he's the emperor, so you can kind of get away with that. And they they fight about it. And I, I almost feel sad for both of them because their marriage is pointless in a way. And then here's the kicker. The only reason she agrees to marry the emperor is to make the other guy, Alcanese, jealous. And she, what she would prefer is this horrible, toxic marriage that luckily doesn't come about. She says, if I can make the emperor propose to me, this other guy, who I love, hates me so much, he will marry me out of spite so that I can't marry the emperor. He will enjoy depriving me of a kingdom. And that's what she wants. Like, that's her goal. <laughs> that's true love? <laughs> yeah. She's just decided that she wants something, so she's going to have it, even though it will obviously be bad for everyone involved. You know, she's like, he'll enjoy depriving me of the crime, so then he'll marry me. And he doesn't, luckily. But she never gives up wanting him, even though he has no interest in her. And she's just kind of not that good to her husband. And then they have a son, and they teach this little boy that he's going to go and be the next emperor and everything. And slight spoiler, it's very sad. The little boy becomes very military very early, and then goes off and dies in his first campaign. It's very sad. But... I guess it's interesting because I care about the drama and the the way the people act and interact with each other. I just I just feel like maybe you could have cut a hundred to two hundred pages off the length, you know. Fair enough. Did you know much about? Because I had to Google like which is the famous Napoleon, you know. Like I didn't I did not know. The only Napoleon I know anything about is yeah Napoleon Bonaparte the first, the original. He, yeah, yeah he. He basically took over control uh, late, very late 1700s, early 1800s, I believe. Mm -hmm. And I think 1815 is the main date that sticks out in my mind. Okay. This is then obviously a little bit later with it being his successor. So he was in exile and then he comes back to power. So this takes place, basically it starts in Spain in the 1840s and then it eventually moves as far as the 1870s when she ends up in England. So they have like the 50s and 60s in France. And in the end, they have to like escape and everything because the people are coming for them. There's like riots and revolution and, and the people do not want these rulers, you know. Um, she's so stubborn. And here's the bit that'll prove she didn't love her husband. And he's a short guy, like just like the original Napoleon. He's not like a big military hero or anything kind of he's you know not the strongest man or anything like that she wants him to go off and die in the war because she thinks that's the brave thing to do and she gets back the news that he's died and she's like great he's died a hero i loved my husband and then someone says oh no hold on sorry he didn't die he surrendered to save the lives of his troops all of his troops were about to be massacred so he surrendered and then she's like this horrible man i hate him he should have died what a coward you know? And it's like, oh, you are the worst. <laughs> yeah. He <laughs> saved these people. So yeah, 40s would have been the same time as uh, Les Mis takes place. Mm. So they would have had a lot of people 
revolting against the government at this time, but it was completely failed. They were just trying to redo the uh, uh, revolt in the 1790s. Right. Okay. Fair enough. It didn't really work. This always gives the impression that they were never quite as powerful as the original Napoleon, even when he is theoretically in power. There's a lot of opposition and things, you know, and it it always kind of, it feels like their downfall is inevitable, you know? And they're just writing it out. Um, but no, honestly, it's a good one. I would recommend it a little bit more on the last one, especially if you have any interest in that type of stuff. And I, I do like it. Like, I'm reading all the, obviously, we read Duman and everything. Like, I do like that, those French kind of historical stuff. But I would just say it's not amazing. You know, I've never read any other Hester Chapman, so I don't know what she did. Um, I would have just cut a little bit out. But then I guess she can't because she's got to kind of go through it. She goes through it decade by decade, essentially. So, Maybe it's not her fault that not much happened in the 50s. You know, like, this is, that's the way it is. You could have also just cut out the 50s. Yeah, like, you trim things down a little bit, I, I suppose. But it just gives you this idea of Eugenie as a kind of beautiful but atypical character who creates a whirlwind of problems around her. She wants power, but she doesn't really love her husband. And then it just kind of falls off a cliff at the end a little bit, you know, because it's like, then the regime collapsed and she died in England. It's like, all right, cool, you know. <laughs> Fair enough. Bit anticlimactic. A little bit, yeah. But it's sad in parts as well. That is my second book. Why don't you tell us about yours? So for me, so I read Catch-22, Joseph Heller. It's basically a World War II book, but it is, it's absurdist in every way Every character is written. Nobody is sane. And the only way I can really explain it is if you've ever seen the TV show MASH. I'm aware of it, but I don't think I ever watched it. It doesn't seem like it, well, crossed the pond, basically. Um, Because that takes place in uh, the Korean War, where you have surgeons. And it's also absurdist. You have people who are not your normal like uh, military men, your normal officers who are very strict and you have to obey the orders all the time. Mm-hmm. In MASH, it's basically about like, all right, what kind of chaos can we create here? <laughs> and it, it makes it a lot of fun. I watched several seasons of MASH and this book reminded me of it. So in that aspect, I really enjoyed this book. But my issue is there is literally zero plot. Right. So it's like, all right, we're going to have this episode where they are um, delivering food to all these different places. And you have your absolutely crazy like mess hall guy. Uh, basically, the guy in charge of the mess hall, he's not just in charge of a mess hall. He ends up creating this empire. Uh for buying and selling different things and ends up as like a mayor in some places, a shah in others, oh, right. a sultan. Like it, it goes out there, but it's like, that's one episode. And the timeline is a little bit all over the place too. It's like this character's alive now, but he died earlier where mm. they keep referencing this character as alive. So you got to check like, okay, so your main character, Yosarian, He's a captain now. Well, this one takes place when he was a private. So you 
kind of have to like piece some of that together. It's not the hardest to keep track of for timelines. The hardest part for me was keeping track of the characters. There's about 60 characters in this book. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, I had quite a bit of difficulty like knowing which person is which. Um, I would guess, yeah. Yeah. They're the main like 10 that you're going to get, but yeah, after that it's like who's Dobbs? Major Danby, is that different than this other major? <laughs> um but some you, some Dickens you, books have a hundred characters, but then it turns out you, that really not that many of them are important. So it's easy to keep track of the main ones. But did you find that this was too many main characters or there were too many characters, I think, because each um each chapter is basically about a character. Hmm. Sometimes they're repeating the characters, but uh you know your main characters still. Like your top 10, 15, you know exactly who they are. Okay, okay. Um, so you get uh, the one character, Major Major, who yes. then ends up becoming a major. So he's Major Major Major. But apparently his middle name is also Major, I guess. I don't know. So the, <laughs> the title of the chapter is Major 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 Major. Okay. And so it is okay. absurd, yeah. I will absolutely remember this person. Um, <laughs> oh yeah it, absolutely absurd it's so funny I sent you a couple parts that I just could not help laugh at yes. so basically one person how to set it up basically everyone is just moaning for some reason they're all going ooh and general says stop that <laughs> like anyone who says that again is going to be in major trouble and then you have this one guy off to the side doing work and he's counting down to one, zero, and then he's like, I gotta start all over again. Oof. The general hears that and is like, all right, take him outside and shoot him. Oh, wow. And it's like, he he has no idea what's going on, the major. But yeah, then he says, like, I said, take Major Danby out and shoot him, Colonel Cathcart snapped. Can't you hear? The two young lieutenants nodded lumpishly and gaped at each other in stunned and flaccid reluctance, each waiting for the other to initiate the procedure of taking Major Danby outside and shooting him. Neither had ever taken Major Danby outside and shot him before. <laughs> okay. I like that style, actually. I like that witty style. It really is witty a lot of the time. Um, I have another one here. Uh, I'm not saying that to be cruel and insulting. He continued with cruel and insulting delight. Okay. Some of these, the way it's written a lot of the time can be funny. I like that style. I and I see bits of that in even in like Dickens and authors that I like. Um I like that style of um like the, the humor is coming in the narration, you know? I kinda like yes. that. Yes. Yeah. And it's always absurd situations. So like the one I mentioned, the mess hall officer, he uh removed the carbon dioxide cylinders from the like life jackets mm -hmm. for creating um what is it to make strawberry and crushed pineapple ice cream sodas <laughs> like okay. and it's always about like well what's good for my company is what's good <laughs> for everybody like it doesn't matter that people are gonna die from not having their life jackets yes it's it's really interesting some of the time. But so then, you, you, like you make it sound good. It, it really can be good. 
Um, but that feels like every other chapter you get stuff like that hmm. because it then gets serious and sometimes it can be a bit boring throughout. But then you have like, here, let me tell you about that time that I, I went to see this whore and she hit me on the head with a shoe. And um, I will only tell you the story completely if I have crab apples in my mouth. I'm like, what? <laughs> okay, so would it be fair to say that although it's a different type of book, our experience is similar in that with the three books we discussed so far, we kind of liked bits of them, but then didn't like other bits. You know, they were just like, yeah, it's got some good stuff in there, but it's maybe not surrounded by like the whole book isn't good, you know? Yeah. So I still would give it like a B minus. Like it has some really good stuff, but I wish it were there a bit more. And I still have like a hundred pages of this 500 page book left to read. But um, the last thing that I read was one of the darkest things in the book. Um, so it makes me want to finish it. Um, but I'll go ahead and say one character, McWatt, he often flies his plane really low just to scare people in their tents and stuff. <laughs> he does it once to the people on the beach, but it is so low that one guy, uh, he reaches up to try to tap it and uh, gets hit by the propeller. Oh no. It, don't, tap a set... don't tap a moving plane. Yeah. And it literally says, like, it rains down on them. All of his blood rains down yeah, on everyone. I mean, it's, it's almost crazy. He was asking for it by tapping a plane. And then McQuad lets everyone else out of the plane with their parachutes and flies into a mountain and kills himself because he knows he's going to be in trouble. Sure. I mean, I, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Sounds like it's, it's interesting. I kind of like it in a way. Yeah. Hmm. But, so yeah, I, I generally think like people could enjoy it. You need a bit of patience, though. Okay, to get through some of the mo- the bits that weren't as good, maybe. Yeah. yeah, I think that's the same with with most of what I've read this month. Um, cool. We should mention also that you are back with us here in Yay. Belfast. Yay! And uh, one of the first things we did as soon as you got back was we went to see Tosca. Um, we took some friends with us, Carla and Aris. We went to see Tosca in the Grand Opera House. And if you go to patreon.com slash booksboys, you can hear uh, all four of us give uh, our thoughts on the show. Yeah. We also finished Sophocles, uh, the three the plays that we're doing of Sophocles on our Patreon. And Robert and I have finished the season of Dark Place Dreamers that we're doing, and we'll have a new treat coming soon uh, with dragons, hopefully. So we are going to, myself and you, we're going to start into Euripides soon, um, which is one that we were looking forward to because he's kind of the most famous of those um, uh, Greek playwrights. So there's mm-hmm. always lots of stuff happening there, and everyone should go and check it out and give us all your money. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's it's only like $5 a month, and uh, you can get a t-shirt. Yeah. The, the cheapest tier starts from $3. I think there's a 5 and an 8, something like that. You can get t-shirts, you can get poetry you can get uh recommend books for us to read um, we will even shout you out on books boys we will you get lots of stuff i mean the, the, not only do you get books boys early but even the amount of bonus shows on there there's actually more episodes of playboys than books boys now like there's so much content on there and that's We've before you factor so in so many plays yeah that's before you factor in like the few episodes here and there that we did of other things like film fellows and uh Poetry Paths and Caper Captains and lots of other bits and pieces. So there's a lot on there. In fact, there's even this ad to tell you all about it. 
The facts that will be presented are true. Yes, PJ. Hello there. Now, PJ, what have we learned about Shakespeare? This is Hello. Dark Place Robert and Playboy Alex. Doing all right. Glad to be here again. So I've given you those nicknames. I'm not a fan of that one. <laughs> well, that's where people will know you from. That's why you're going to know me from that one. But let's carry on. Anyway. Hello, there. Can you hear me? Join us for Shakespeare written, Spanish plays and poetry, rock star interviews, film reviews, Dark Place Dreamers, and more. Patreon.com slash might need to update that now because we've got some different shows and different co-hosts and things. Um, but there we go. Go do, do the thing. Check it out. You can also <laughs> go to booksboys.com and see all of our other things and links to where the show is and buy merch and whatever. Be our friend. Uh, we like you. Be our friend. Well, be our best friend and give us your money. <laughs> How else am I going to do these holidays, man? I got to go to London in like three weeks. I'm going to Spain again. <laughs> is this a holiday? <laughs> is this a holiday? Uh, yes, it it is. It will be. I'm going to London actually to see our friend Dark Place Robert. So, um, and also if I'm if I'm lucky, I'll I'll see uh, Saloni in there, who people may know if they've listened to some of the recent Film Fellows episodes. So, um, it's a work trip in a, in a sense. Okay, I should also quickly mention that this month's episode is sponsored by Gypsy Predictions of Becoming an Empress dot gov. Um, this is a government-sponsored program, and if you want to become a French empress, you can find Spanish gypsies to give you those predictions, and the government website will help you out with all the necessary arrangements. Um, so head on over to the site and sign up for the program today. Next book I read is Echoes of the Past by Stipe Lozina. This one is very different from the stuff I've read so far. Um quite short although there's actually no page count so i don't know how long it is i guess about 200 pages um this is a zombie apocalypse novel shaped by the choices you make and it's book one of our story so this Uh... is going to be a series i think the idea is three full books then there's going to be like three novellas that link things together with certain focus more on certain characters as well and so it's going to build up this kind of mini universe Um, but it's a zombie uh, what's it called? Choose your own adventure, essentially. You know, where you will make the choices. Yeah, I was going to say. Um, Turn to this page. Yeah. When you choose this. and yeah. So, okay. guy's getting released from prison. He's actually friends with the prison officer who's releasing him. They're driving down the road, and all of a sudden, police stop the road, and they're like, you can't go back. Because you got to go back because the city's actually, you know, um, infested with zombies. And then the first choice you make is basically, well, do I go back and do what they tell me, or do we just, like, rampage through this here um now sometimes the choices you make end up leading to the same outcome anyway and i suppose that's like the bandersnatch thing it's like the question of like if certain things are faded then will your choices really make big differences or not um but then some of the choices do make differences this 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 one part where i wanted to like get some snacks for a girl and i didn't bother and then later she's hungry and she's really mad because i didn't get the snacks for this little girl you know so sometimes the things you'd make will um become more consequential and i presume that'll play out across the sequels as well you know so i'm guessing there's a lot of dead ends in there as well like you you die actually no i think that it more because it's planned to have sequels i think you don't die i think that it'll always eventually get you to the same end point so that the book can continue 
but you pick up other characters. It becomes a bit of a ragtag uh, gang. You know, you pick up other characters as you're walking along, and then you re meet the prison officer, Jackson, and he's a bit of a tough guy. And then um, this guy who looked after you, because you end up in a coma for a few months after um, the you rampage through the, the the police barrier. So then you end up, this guy's been kind of helping you out with his family. So they're there and you meet this little girl and this one kind of girl who's playing a kind of badass chick vibe um, character. So it becomes a kind of a ragtag gang of, of people traveling along the road because essentially you have a son in another city that a friend or a brother or something is looking after so you want to get there to see if your son is okay so that's actually the objective of the book is to, to you've got an end point in, in place and you run into various perils and, and meet friends and enemies along the way uh, and then obviously you get various choices to decide how you shape the story as you go so it's quite interesting it's something, something very different for me you know but I, I liked it in the end. I liked it. And it's just unusual to read a an adult usual adventure book that isn't like a Goosebumps or something, you know? <laughs> I wouldn't even call that adult. Yeah. But I, I really liked it in the end. So I, I have to say it's uh, it was very interesting to read. Ah, and bear with me one second. I think we might be getting a telephone call, which is a massive surprise to us both. Yes. Hello, you're through to Books Boys. You've got Dean on the line. Who's calling? So, Stipe, is Ian on the line? Hi, Stipe. Thanks for calling in. Uh, we were actually just in the middle of talking about your wonderful book here, Echoes of the Past, which I have beside me. Um, how are you today? So, today I'm pretty, uh, feeling uh, pretty good overall. Good. Before I talk about the book with you, I noticed on the very beginning we have our story, book one, and I noticed at the end, it looks like, do I understand this correctly, this is going to be a kind of series, you have plans for two sequels, and as well, there's going to be a couple of shorter books, is that right? That is correct, so uh, Echoes of the Past is the first book in the Our Story series. Uh, the, the plot is uh, planned to span across uh, three main novels, so Echoes of the Past being the first, and uh, throughout the middle of uh, each novel, so once you're finished uh, reading Echoes of the Past, you have three shorter stories which are in the form of a sub-series titled Our Story Memories. Mm -hmm. And uh, subsequently, those two series are going along with uh, each other. Right, okay. So I see we've got our story memories um available on Amazon. We have um I need you to forgive. We have also Sean's story. Do not. So are those already out? Let him understand the the memories. Yeah. Uh, so in uh, the our story memories subseries, uh, those three books are out. Okay. Uh, they are short stories. So uh, basically in the form of uh, short novelettes. So not novels, but novels. Fantastic. So if anyone likes this book and they read it, they can actually get more already, which is fantastic. Um, what's the expected date then for the next the next main installment? Now, since uh, Echoes of the Past is uh, a story, you know, which is uh, shaped by the choices you make as the reader, uh, the second book in this uh, trilogy will actually go off of the choices you made in the first one. Okay. Now, of course, uh, the expected release date, it uh, it was expected to, to release even this year, 
but uh, there are of course delays in the writing process mm. and uh, since uh, the overall story has expanded as i began writing the second one um it will be quite longer than first expected and okay. uh, right now the planned release date is in the beginning of 2025 so it's still quite a while back oh wow okay. but in between uh, yes but in between there will be one uh, one book releasing in the art story memories subseries okay so there'll still be something else coming and we've got a few to start with fantastic so I want to ask you, because it's not so common, what made you want to do this as a kind of, you know, like the old choose your own adventure, like the kind of thing where you get to make decisions that impact the story? Where did the idea come from to do that? So, uh, you know, ever since uh, I was little, uh, if you maybe remember, we have uh, some uh, children books, which are like shape your own story. Or yeah. Anything. And uh basically an idea came up to my mind uh we already have uh, alternative experiences based on television and uh, games uh but in uh, books for adults uh, i uh, really have not seen uh, someone attempt to make an adult novel or a large story which is uh, meant for teenagers and adults uh which is shaped by the choices you make so I uh, I can afford to make a breach in that field uh, since currently in writing form for, mm. for what I could have seen it's mace, uh, mostly based uh, in the children's genre. Yeah, I mean I've certainly seen those type of children's books. This is the first time I believe that I've actually read this uh, kind of book as an adult book. So and it was it was very refreshing. I liked it. Um, what is the main difficulty with writing this and actually making the choices matter? Was that something, obviously that was important to you, but was it something difficult? Uh, of course. Uh, so uh, once you read the goes of the past, uh, even though the main story is going in one direction, which leads you to the overall ending of the first story, uh, in the continuing books, and even those uh, three little short novelas in the form of our story memories, the choices you made throughout Echoes of the Past. So uh, either you sided uh, with the character named Sean, or either you were there for Tobias, those choices will uh, have their effects in the Our Story Memories subseries. Oh. And of course, uh, they will uh, lead to branching stories in the second main uh, book of the main series. Uh, now, of course, uh, you know, throughout writing it, it was uh, difficult to, to to find a way to implement them correctly. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I have a set plan. Let's say I, I want the story to branch out in three directions. So we have direction number one, the, the middle one, and the last one. But as you're writing the first direction, uh, ideas come up to your mind, like... Uh, what if we can make this even more complex, such as in the form of small butterfly effects, which will come uh, into form later on. So mm -hmm. not in the first book, per se, but later on, some of the small, maybe insignificant choices you thought you were making, uh, they will uh, have their meaning in some shape or form down the line. Okay, because in this book, you do get to make some choices, but as you say, the overall story is the same. So it's nice to know that those choices will still play into the, the continuation of the story. 
Um, there was one though, and it seemed so insignificant that made me so sad. I, I failed to take a lollipop. And then when the little girl Sky was hungry, I had no lollipop to give her. And that was the saddest moment of the whole book. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, that's, uh, that is an insignificant choice, let's say, in the overall meaning. But uh, even that small choice uh, in the second main book uh, will have at least some meaning in uh, in the narrative aspect when it comes to that character Sky. So how she views world later on so mm-hmm. if let's say she does receive the lollipops in the first book she still has that form of her childhood being intact but if she doesn't receive them she is uh sooner getting used to the new apocalyptic world before her right okay so unexpected consequences big consequences in a way yeah, yeah. So, uh, I mean, not lo- uh, that particular choice, you know, it will not have a large consequence, but it will have a shape in how the, the character is formed. So yeah. uh, you you will have like two to three different versions of, of uh, Sky once you begin the second book. Right. Okay. Fantastic. So obviously... Our main story, so it's interesting. We are let's let's talk a little bit about about what's going on. We're set in a zombie apocalypse, and we have to make the right you know choices as we go. Uh, our main character, he's being released from prison. He was in prison. Hopefully, this isn't a major spoiler to the story, but he was in prison for having killed his wife. That's mentioned, and then it doesn't really come up again is that something that's going to come up in the sequels or do we just have to accept that that's in his past and we're moving forward uh of course uh, without spoiling for uh, the overall audience um in the first book as you've said uh that uh, plot line doesn't seem to really go anywhere once you reach the ending mm-hmm. but uh throughout the story uh, uh, if you remember, the main character had a goal of finding his son. Yes. Now, he is past in how he uh, murdered his wife. That will come to play out in the form of down the line when, let's say, something happens with that quest that mm-hmm. may or may not have been achieved in the first book. So, in the form of his son, that choice will uh, that story and that plot line will be further developed. Okay, so that will that will come back. Good. So our main our main character is Peter, and of course uh, he gets released from prison and then ends up in a coma. Um, but the interesting thing is the chap, the the prison officer who's releasing him, who's escorting him, Jackson, is actually a friend of his and will come back later in the novel. So that was an in- an interesting thing to to write into it. Um, I didn't expect that, but Jackson's a bit of a tough guy, kind of, uh, as well. He's not... Peter usually is the one, at least the way I made my choices, Peter is the one usually doing the nice thing, and Jackson is very much of a tough guy. And of course, we have Sean, who's a bit of a tough girl vibe as well, so I don't know if that's what you expected, but I played my character as the nice guy to balance against the toughness of some of the others. (laughs) Exactly like that. So uh, you can see that uh, basically uh, the main character, Peter, is throughout the first story faced with uh, two views of how the world is playing out. So you have Jackson, who has a tough guy view, 
and uh, he is very stubborn throughout the story. His his uh, decisions that he makes are oftentimes seen, let's say, as irrational, mm. and uh, his view of things is uh, very harsh. Meanwhile, you do have a similar perspective coming from Sean, and uh, even though uh, those two characters did not come, let's say, to a full-on discussion in the first one, their views, so how you come to react, should you side with how Jackson is going on about his choices in New World, or should you side uh, in uh, maybe a uh, passive uh, voice? So Mm -hmm. uh, you also have the character, let's say, of uh, Ken Lee, Yes, oftentimes the, uh, the the calm voice, so the 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 passive voice which tries to seek reason and uh, not irrational, harsh decisions. So basically, it's the choice which 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 uh, how do you want to act in the new world? So do you want to try have some resemblance of a normal life, or do you want to go full on? Let's adapt to 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 our new circumstances and uh, not think about what we might uh, become in the long run yeah and that's a theme as well and, and of course a difficulty you know as you say it's okay the world is being uh, taken over by zombies do we insist that we want to keep things the way we remember them and try to go back to that or do we just have to accept that everything's ruined and we have to try to find a way to exist moving forward so that's interesting and that some of the characters talk about those issues which is great um that's fantastic so I'm going to ask you something that we ask to every every author that we have on the show before we let you go. Um, if there's any book that already exists that you wish you'd been the person to write, so any existing book you wish you'd wrote, what would it be? Uh, now, my answer might surprise you a little bit because it's not a famous book, per se. Uh, it's called The Creatures of the Appetite. It's uh, also written by an indie author named Todd Travis. Okay. Uh, this is uh, more on the side of a thriller slash mystery and even bits of horror in there. Uh, this was one of the very first books uh, I've, uh, you know, uh, read in depth, where I even tried to research some of the, the thematics based mm-hmm. on the plot. And... That story, at least in the first one, which is named Creatures of the Appetite, it you know it uh, it shocks you in how well it is developed and uh, how uh, how the writer has shaped the narrative. You know the ending, of course, blows you away. It's unexpected. It's kind of uh, one of those endings. You know who done it? Who is the guilty yeah. culprit? Or yeah, but uh, could... the answer you do not expect and. It blows you away. Fantastic. I Googled it here. Yeah, it's only 2013, so it is quite a modern book. Uh, yeah. yeah, Creatures yeah. of the Appetite, Todd Travis. Fantastic. Well, before I let you go, do you want to give us a plug for your website or tell people where they can buy the book or something like that? Uh, of course. So uh, most of my books are available throughout uh, my website. So uh, com. But of, uh, you can find them on Amazon, uh, and uh, Apple Books, uh, Barnes sure. & Noble, Angus & Robertson. They're uh, widely available. So we just search under the author's name and you should find most of my books. Brilliant. And I'll put a link as well in the show notes. Well, Stipe, thank you so much for calling in. Um, I enjoyed the book. I can't wait for the next one. I might have to read some of the shorter ones in the meantime. 
And uh, thanks for thanks for calling in. Have a great day. Uh, thanks for having uh, having me as your guest and have a nice day. Well, that was a lovely, lovely surprise. Stipe calling in to chat about his book, Echoes of the Past. And go and check that out for yourself. If you want a zombie, choose your own adventure book. And thank you to Alfred, who's brought me a cup of tea. Um, Thank you. Wow. I've been working hard. That's... It's unusual. Have you ever done that before? No, unusual behavior uh, for Alfred. Yeah. Don't worry. We'll renew your contract into season four. Don't worry. Don't smash the tea on the floor either once I say that. It's not signed yet. Okay, so um, next month will be our anniversary episode and I might see if we can get a few of our other co-hosts and friends to maybe call in with book recommendations or something like that. We'll get uh, get a few nice little surprises hopefully next month. Uh, also, there's one author who sent me a book and they would love the release to be done specifically on the 25th of October because they have um, like a book tour virtual schedule thing that they're working through. So there will essentially be a bonus episode where I will I will discuss that with them on the 25th of October. So there's going to be a bonus episode right before the um, the big anniversary show as well. So lots of stuff to come up. And of course, if you're on the podcast feed, you'll notice as well that old episodes of Playboys and Dark Play Streamers are continuing to release as well. So there's loads of free content um, if you can't afford to do the the paid stuff. Because, you know, times are uh, tough. But give us your money. <laughs> so, um, next book. Yes. I read a Spanish book. It's called El Silencio de la Ciudad Blanca. So it's The Silence of the White City, essentially, by Eva Garcia Cienes de Urturi. This book is, um, it's, well, it is written in normal Castilian Spanish, but it's written by a Basque author. And it's set in the Basque country in Bilbao, where I was uh, two months ago. And oh, okay, yeah. So this was, this book wasn't recommended to me, but its sequel was. And the sequel, I think it's called The Lords of Time or something. The sequel was recommended to me about two or three years ago. And uh, obviously I wanted to read book one first. And I bought it about a year ago, and I'm just now getting around to, to finally reviewing it. Um, with the second book being the Lords of Time I was surprised to find you know Silence in the White City okay oh wait it's a cop murder book that yeah, was not what said, I was expecting <laughs> you said Silence in the White City and my mind goes immediately to Devil in the White City is, is that mm-hmm. inspired by that so I, Devil in the White City is a book basically from the um it's the Chicago World Fair when you had the guy who had basically a murder hotel. It was the first serial killer in the United States. Okay, this is a serial killer. Um, not a murder hotel, but maybe maybe they still took the name from that. I don't know. Um, yeah, this one was good. I liked it. Um, again, it's almost five hundred pages. Maybe it could have been trimmed a little bit, but I think the pacing was better in this one. To be honest, compared with say Eugenie, for example. Um, again though it's very difficult to give it more than that sort of three three and a half out of five it just I don't know I think some of the books that I've done this month maybe just lack that little kick that makes it memorable and special I will not remember this book you know Mm. and that's the thing Um, now our cop has the nickname Kraken so they call him Kraken and he's a kind of He's good with these serial killers and profiling them and this kind of stuff. So what's happening is 
there's a chap, Tassio, who's been in prison, okay? He's in prison already, and he has committed murders many years ago, okay? Now the murders, I think it's 20 years, now the murders start happening again. Similar similar murders, and it's like, oh, this is like a, co- is it a copycat killer or what? Because it's very similar style and everything like that. And it turns out that they kill twins. Now, oh. I'll skip ahead a little bit. Essentially, they kill twins who are aged multiples of five. So they'll kill five-year-olds, 10-year-olds, 15-year-olds, okay? And these murders are happening. Now, Tassio's brother, Ignacio, just happens to work with the police in the lab. So now they can't figure out... You know, he's like, I don't speak to my brother anymore. I'm abhorred by his crimes. So obviously, he's their first kind of suspect, almost. It's like, well, someone's copycatting him. He's still in prison. Is it his brother? But then it's like, well, then why would he wait 20, you know, 10, 20 years or whatever it is? You know, so something doesn't make sense. Now Twitter is giving a lot of tweets with hashtag Kraken from Tassio. So somehow he's tweeting from prison or someone's tweeting on his behalf or something else is happening to set up that communication. So they start to wonder, does he have help? You know, now at one point, Tassio gets let out of jail. I think it's just for a few days, some kind of release. And him and Ignacio both go missing. And then they say, is it two murderers? Is it two victims? Or is it one of each? And they have no idea. And the way these killings are happening is actually by putting, maybe this is where the silence comes from, it's by putting bees into the mouth and taping up the mouth so that you cannot scream, but you're being slowly killed from within by like stinging bees, basically, in your throat. So it sounds very horrific. And the bodies, and the bodies, despite the earlier ones being children, they're all stripped naked as well. Now, then they have to consider, was there a sexual aspect involved? You know, if you're finding a bunch of naked bodies, I guess that's something that you will ask. And it turns out that there is some semen in one case. So it now becomes apparent that both Tassio and Ignacio, the one who is working with the cops, shared a 15-year-old lover at one point? Or maybe not shared, but were rivals competing for her? But, But either way... This is not good, right? <laughs> so, yeah, none of that. It doesn't matter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so those aspects come up. That doesn't really go anywhere, though. I was expecting some big comeuppance relating to that, and it kind of that th- thread gets dropped or doesn't. It's not that important, and I was kind of like, I feel like this is an important thread to be pursuing. And it's like, yeah, it doesn't really matter that much, I guess, which is interesting. Um, they focus more on the murders, and obviously they're trying to stop the you know more killings from happening. They're trying to figure out who does it. Um, but the underage lover thing—they just said like, "Oh, she was mature for her age," and then it just kind of gets glossed over and doesn't get talked about again, which I, I didn't love. Um, and then of course there has to be a massive twist in there somewhere. So it turns out they're triplets, yay! So there is another brother, but they didn't know. Oh. So now there's all these other scenes which are a backstory, which initially I was like, this is all unrelated. So then you've got to piece it together. And it turns out what happened in the backstory is this girl was having an affair, Blanca, and she's she's getting together with a guy called Ismael. They're using fake names. Blanca's not her real name. But again, the, the La Ciudad Blanca, she's, she's, she's Blanca also. So that's another little play on the words there. And they mm. were... She has an affair... 
because her husband is not a great guy. You know, I'm, that's all fine. Like, I'm, I'm not going to get into whether who's bad in that relationship or not, because we don't really meet the husband. So it's one sided. But she gets pregnant with triplets and two of them look like her, which is fine. But one does not. So the two that look like her, she passes off as her husband's. The third one she gives away. Oh. And assumes it will have a good life. It's a friend of a friend type situation. But then she finds out years later, in sort of Dickensian fashion, they were really cruel to this little orphan boy and kind of used him as a family servant almost and like were really not good with him and, you know, made him sleep in the cold in the basement and, you know, be a pack mule through town for all their things. And, you know, he's not even registered as a citizen. He has no identity. He has no education or schooling. So it's really, really shockingly bad. Um, and then he gets involved in the story and then we start to wonder, will he be a victim or will he, is he the murderer or is he trying to, you know, frame his brothers or or, or what's happening, you know? And, and it, it opens up all these other possibilities then. So uh, that's a good twist because in a way it stops the book from feeling too long because something is happening then. It's not just like, oh yeah, this could have ended 200 pages ago, you know, because it's like, oh, well, big things are happening. The, the entire situation has changed somewhat because all these flashback sequences suddenly mean something and now we've got a new character and now the book is actually going somewhere, you know? Oh, yeah. So I like that. Um, and there's some nice bits where you see the relationships between the characters and the guys like, you're having sex with me, but what's happening with your husband? We've never met him and what's going on? And when we meet, we use fake names. I'm going to flee the country for some reason. <laughs> so then that happens. So we get little bits of their relationships as well. I did feel sometimes that things didn't all pieced together as nicely as it could have done maybe i did get bored at times and maybe that's my own fault for not paying enough attention you know it, some parts of it didn't really hook me in as much as they could have but i think overall um it was a good story it has a happy ending i'm not going to say what but i don't mm. think i liked the happy ending because i was kind of like i wanted a bit more comeuppance or <laughs> something i don't know yeah <laughs> i don't know um, but what you had to do is you had to like put up all the pictures on the walls, connect string to them. Then yeah, you would yeah. have had a bit more fun. <laughs> but um, yeah, honestly, I think it's a it's a good book, and it plays with relationships, and it plays with you know the sibling relationship. It also plays with affairs and sex and all that kind of stuff. There's a lot going on in the book. Um, I'm gonna read the sequel because it was the one that was recommended as being better. Also, so like at some point, I will get maybe when I'm in Spain in a few weeks, I'll try and see if I can pick up a copy if I if I see it around and. I will review that on a future episode. Hmm. But so far of the books I've read, I'd say it was maybe uh, amongst the top. I'm putting it above Brynhild and, and all that stuff, you know? Yeah, because something actually happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Last I mean, one. It, it does oh. sound like it was based on, yeah, Devil in the White City. Um, in that case, like it is still about the serial killer. So I can imagine it being pretty good. And Devil in the White City is one of the most I guess it's one of those that has been turned into different things a lot. It's been turned into like a video game. It's been turned into uh, like TV show soon, it looks like. And, mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, I think people are, really enjoy the serial killer vibe. So, yeah, might, it seems uh, that way. That might help with uh, getting people interested in this book. Awesome. Anyway, the last with book. the last book, you'll find there's actually some similarities. So the very last book I read is Gary Braver, Rumor of Evil. Um, And he actually sent me a lovely little note 
because he was recently here in um I don't know if he's exactly in, in Lisbon or not, but he was in County Antrim at least. So he would have been maybe around Belfast and things like that. Oh, okay. So I got an advanced copy of this one. And I liked it a lot, but you'll notice maybe some similarities between this and the previous um book. So essentially what we have is some kids and it's Halloween. Okay. So they're in it's set in USA, by the way. And um there's one girl from Slovakia who's a kind of like exchange student or something like that. So she's over for like a three to six month kind of program and she's staying with um the family, with Morgan and her her parents. Initially they kind of like her and they try to get her to, you know, Americanize a little bit and they take her to the mall and get her like some trendier clothes. Because not only is she from Eastern Europe, she's also a pig farmer. So she's really not, uh, you know, in with the trends. So they kind of like get her, you know, modernized a little bit and things like that. Um, but she is a Roma or Roma, you know, gypsy, essentially. So a lot of the book has prejudice against her people. And that's one of the key themes in the book is like how to deal with that. And, you know, they talk about it later. So there's scenes of these people as kids and with adults. And there is obviously some regret for how they dealt with things because, of course, they were you know, teenagers and they didn't know any Roma people before and, and that kind of thing, you know? So that's like a big issue in the book. Um, but I should mention they do not reconcile because they actually um, kill the girl. Oh. So okay. that's the main thread of the book is like, did she die or who, how did she die? Was it murder and who did it? And it turns out that in this party, they she was doing like palm readings and things. And then it turned out that maybe she had one or two lucky guesses with her predictions or some of the thing, you know, some of the people that she then didn't like bad things happen to them. One girl dies in the class and it turns out that it was, the, you know, the girlfriend of a boy she had a crush on and things like that. So they think, oh, she's like Hexter or whatever, you know. So these teenagers, they do like convince her that she's a witch and they burn an effigy of the witch and then they burn down the treehouse that she's sleeping in and she dies. But it's unclear, was it um, was it an accident that it burned down as well? You know, because they were already playing with fire out there or, or, or was it premeditated? And if so, then who did it? But that was 19 years ago. The reason it's come up now is because of that little kind of party of four girls, one of them has just been murdered. So it's only when they start investigating that murder and then those links that they kind of end up reopening this cold case because they realize there might be links between the two murders. She was murdered because she knew something about the previous murder. And the fr- I guess the friends have fallen out at some point over the years. And so now someone knows something that they can no longer be trusted with. So that's the main thread of the book. Now I add in that this 15-year-old foreign girl was being raped by the dad. Oh, fun. Yeah. So, and the daughter discovers that, that there's this abuse theme and she's drawing pictures of her abuse and everything. So those have survived. And um, and the dad is so, still like that. So now the dad is in his 60s. Yeah, I was about to he's, say, like, is the dad like, about to be killed? Um, well, we find him, like, on a boat and he's, he's 62 and he has an 18-year-old girlfriend. So he hasn't necessarily men- changed his preferences over all those 20 years Mm. so that like lends a bit of evidence to that meanwhile our cop kirk who also has a dead child is also going through a separation with his wife just because like they're straight on the relationship and and all the rest of it of course you know and and they're growing apart so then there's like a subplot with him and his wife and 
the guy that she is considering kind of dating during their separation and, and all that stuff. And of course, in some ways, there's it doesn't link together in the sense that, you know, oh, the guy she's dating doesn't turn out to have been the murderer all along or something. But there's just like little little bits that link the story together, of course, you know. So we end up um with that. But it's kinda it's kinda nice to get that because we've essentially got three threads through the book. We've got the stuff set nineteen years ago with the kids. We've got the adults doing the investigation. And then of course we've got like little bits of his like private life mixed in with that as well. Um and I think because there are three plot threads and the book is only three hundred pages, it, it it flows really well. It doesn't get boring, it doesn't drag on, it just fits okay. together very nicely. Again, yeah, there's some rough subject matter in there because you're dealing with things like racism and prejudice and child murder and, you know, sexual assault, rich, statutory rape. But there's a whole lot of stuff going on in the book, you know. But it was a good story. I mean, it sounds like it would keep your interest throughout all of it. It's, yeah, one of those cop shows. So it's better than the uh, other one? I would say, yeah, this might be the... And the zombie one was also very good as well. I think I liked those better than some of the other books that I read. But if we compare this book to the other cop, yeah, to the other cop one, but the same maybe. Okay. Maybe okay. maybe this one just edges out because um, it's a little bit shorter. You know, it doesn't have those drops of interest. You know, it just edges out because it's got that quick pace that just kind of keeps going. Hmm. Um. And I like Kirk. He's a cool cop. And really, he just he wants to catch the murderer, but he also wants to like fix things with his wife and all this kind of stuff. And he's relatively a good guy. You know, he he's a decent guy. Some of the other people in the book are good and not good. And it, it introduces other theories as well, you know, because his partner, Kirk's uh, partner, I think she's called Megan. You know, she had a rough childhood and things like that herself. And then she's also uh, she's a lesbian, but they're trying to have a child so it touches on like lots of other social issues that aren't the main crux of the book but still kind of get touched on here and there throughout the story um, and religion comes up and, and things like that so I think he f- covers a lot in a short time while still not detracting from the actual main story so I think it's, it's very well done Good to hear So overall yeah somewhat middling reviews for some of the books this week or this month but yeah uh, there's some gems yeah there's some good stuff in there and it even sounds like the one you read had a lot of good bits involved as well but i think overall this month kind of middling yeah yeah that's all right that's all right so we'll have uh some other stuff next month i think i'm going to be getting a little bit busier so i may be doing some plays instead of uh books just make sure I can get something to talk about. Get something through, yeah. And that's cool. That's yeah. cool. We always like plays as well. Um, I am going to start with Madame de Pompadour. That's my first book for this month, and I'm going to start reading uh, during my flight to London tomorrow. And um, then I have Artificial Wisdom, which is the one by the author I mentioned. So that'll be coming up on a bonus episode, and then after that, I'll I'll see what what else I managed to get through. But um, there'll be. There'll be a few bits and pieces um, along the way. And then, of course, next month we'll have our anniversary and Halloween and all sorts of good things. This has been episode 36 of Foot Boys. I'm going to end the episode with um, my latest song, Musical. It's a very Dickensian song about a 14-year-old orphan boy who sings and dances in the street until his feet bleed. And then some people beat him up and steal his gold coins. And he sleeps in the street cold and hungry.
We have such a positive episode. <laughs> wow. So, wow. If the DJ would spin <laughs> that record, we'll be back in about a month. Oui. That's the way this boy could be to a life of pain and misery. Selling all he had for gold Should have had his fortune told Making music in the street Now he's dancing in bare feet The onlookers gather round Musical fantasies abound Should he play them something new Or should he have stayed in school Sings and dances all day long Making pennies on the song Garments sold and worn to rags And nobody gives him thanks Dancing in the cobbled streets Blood and blisters on his feet Musical playing his songs Musical all day long Musical spreading joy But music Now here comes the gang of thieves to give our music of some grief. He tries to stand up big and bold, though he's just 14 years old. They encircle all around and they push him to the ground. Now they steal his day's income and run off into the sun. The onlookers look away, wondering if they should stay. If there will be no more songs, they might as well just go on home. Not a one did intervene, trying to slip away unseen. Nobody offers him help, musical, look out for yourself. Musical, playing his songs. Musical, all day long. Musical, spreading joy. But musical, you'll be sorry. Picks himself up from the dirt, thankful that he was not hurt. But his coins were taken away, now he'll starve another day. There's no food and there's no shelter, despite the worsening weather. Now the people have all gone, the spot he's in must be his home. Not a thing to eat or drink, but plenty of time to think. Tomorrow is another day, another day to sing and play. Or maybe begging door to door, who knows what life has in store. Shivering in the bitter cold, living slow and dying old. Musical Playing his songs Musical All day long Musical Spreading joy Musical You'll be Books Boys was presented by The Dean and Playboy Alex in association with Thaddeus Penguin Productions. Ah.
This episode was brought to you by our sponsor, becominganemperors.gov. If you would like to get in touch, you can email us at booksboys at hotmail.com or visit us at booksboys.com. The intro uses Driving in the 70s from the Of Soundtracks and Garage Bands EP by Trapdoor. And the outro uses Dog's Light by Bravo Max from the album of the same name. All music used is either podsafe or used with permission. If you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash booksboys, get the show early, and all of our bonus booth fan the boys shows. And you can also check out our music on Spotify or Apple Music. Thank you kindly for listening to us. Please tell your friends... And come back next time for another episode of Books Boys. Read some books!